the Interesting Conversations with Interesting People podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. The very best way to promote your podcasts, Podpage makes it easy to create a podcast website with just a few clicks. Every page is optimized to be found on Google and it stays up to date forever. For more information visit podpage.com, the future of podcast promotion. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. When the Mood is Right, A Poetry Journey and Mood Swings by Queen P. Available on Amazon and all good bookstores. The Royal Affair by Queen P. Dim the lights, sit back, relax, and breathe. You have entered into the Royal Affair. Queen P. Poetry Podcasts. Available now, 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 now. The Royal now. Affair. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my Interesting Conversations with Interesting People podcast series. My special guest for this episode is a community leader, anti-racism activist, human rights advocate and author, Mr. Maxi Hales, MBE. Hi Maxi, welcome to my podcast series. Great to have you here. How are you at the moment? Hi, Nigel. I'm fine, thanks. So where were you born and where did you grow up? Oh, I was born in Jamaica, West Indies. I um, remember my mother waving me goodbye at Kingston Wharf, number one pier, as they call it. And when I woke up, the rock wasn't there. You know, there's a rock in Jamaica. It wasn't there. It was out of sight. So I slept all through that. I must have been very tired. And I spent um, three weeks on a ship called SS Bigona, Spanish vessel. And uh, we arrived at Southampton, transported us by train to um, Waterloo. And what were your initial impressions when you arrived in Birmingham? Well, my first impression was the amount of snow coming through those uh, chimneys. It was nothing to do with my beautiful Jamaica <laughs> and the glorious sunshine. So, yes, it was a bit of a culture shock, if you like. When did you become interested in fighting racism and becoming a human rights activist? I began the real struggle after I um, experienced institutional racism. And um, there was a Jewish uh, lecturer I had prior to going to university. His name was Gordon Weaver, because he was quite radical. He taught me radical sociology. The system failed at their convenience. I wasn't given my piece of paper, and it was down to institutional racism. We knew that. Then I saw the injustice in place, and that's when I started to actually campaign. This guy, Gordon Weaver, he introduced me to the Labour Party to join as a member. He introduced me to Unison, trade union, and about 20 groups 
affiliated across the country. In fact, I could go to any city, you know, they would open their room and I could sleep there for the night. At the time, racism was just so violent. It's still vile now, but it's done by racist thugs such as the National Front and, and so on. And very little was done. It was during those times when um, the Deptford fire took place. 13 dead, nothing fed. The 1970s was one of the worst times in terms of racial terrorism. And I use the word terrorism against because racism is terrorism against black people. Internationally, we were being affected. We had people like Nelson Mandela still locked behind bars. So there are lots of stuff that prompted me to pick up the, the struggle because it was a matter of anger, passion plus anger. That's what I see because it was happening to me personally, directly and all around me. And so, yes, that's when the, this, when the struggle started. Well, you've certainly been a very busy campaigner and organiser. Back in 1998, you organised for the Stephen Lawrence Inquiry, led by Sir William McPherson, to hold hearings in Birmingham to investigate police <laughs> racism. Why did you think it was important for the city of Birmingham to be included within the Stephen Lawrence Inquiry? I joined Bromo, Bromo, which is the Birmingham Racial Attacks Monitoring Unit. The very word attack, we had to fight it. <laughs> the police wanted the word attack out. Birmingham Racial Attacks Monitoring was set up after the Home Office Interdepartmental Report 1989 because it was then discovered that the report identified the fact that racial harassment and racial attacks was on the increase across the country. But Birmingham was significant because it was one of the, uh, Birmingham is the second largest city in the country and it had more black and ethnic minority people. So the report suggested that statutory agency was incapable of challenging, if you like, the needs of the black minority community. So, and statutory bodies such as the police, housing department, youth service, schools, the lot, all the statutory agency was incapable and at times insensitive of the needs of the black community, black minority community. So therefore, it was felt that an organization such as Bromo should be set up where it could be used as a buffer between the people, local authority and the local community. We were based within the community. We set this organization and we had a caseworker, we had a coordinator, we had core funded. We had dealt with over 5,000 live cases, 30,000 inquiries across the country, people from as far as Ireland and places like that turned to us. And when we closed in 2010, because they withdrew the fund, we had 250 cases live on the books. So therefore, black people were being attacked right, left and centre. There was a club, a famous club of Broad Street, Birmingham, whereby black people were not allowed in. We had to um, protest outside numerous occasions to break that down. And when we realised Sir William McPherson wasn't coming to Birmingham, it was me who draft a letter and we sent it to disseminate it to at least 142 organizations across the country and then there was the newspaper called the new nation who came out with an headline and it harks so william mcpherson why aren't you coming to birmingham and that pressure was on and all during that time they were telling us that they couldn't come to birmingham 
because they didn't have the proper venue. And we have to say to them, but the other day you, you entertained President Clinton. So you're telling us that we don't have any proper venue. And they come back with some rubbish and we say, you can't defend that because the Eurovision contest was held in Birmingham. So you got more room, you have the capacity, but we soon realized the reason for that was because they didn't want to admit that Birmingham was institutionally racist. The council was institutionally racist, or the police. So we, um, along with six other black minority groups, presented a report. We construct that report. And I presented it when Sir William McPherson came to Birmingham. And after we finished with them, we had a standing ovation. And the newspapers run for the front pages. We knew the business. We knew the institutional racism was there. Well, Maxi, you received numerous awards for your work, including the Active Community Award and the Trust Lifetime Achievement Award. You've also been awarded an MBE. When did you receive that award and what was it for? So I received that in uh, Queen's Birthday Honours. So yes, so finally, I got it. I was shocked. I was surprised because being an activist and not an armchair activist, you don't usually get these things, do you? It's interesting. I... I accept the award with humble humility. Some people may not like that, but I, well, I make no excuse. I embrace this honor, this award, because it was given to me for work carried out. You know, everybody who knows me knows that I have worked for it. It's an honor. I accept it with humble humility. Well, back in 2016, you published your first book, I believe. What was it called and yeah. what is it about? The book is a, it's an autobiography. In honor of my mother, I loved her and missed her like words can't express. So the book really, it also serves to highlight my memoirs for over 40 years of fighting for human rights and equality across the world. It's called Taking It to the Max. And um, that's, it just come about, the name just came about, Take It to the Max. And I, I, what I've done with the book, I've launched it to the House of Commons, as I said earlier. Then I launched it up in Birmingham at the MAC. And then I went to Jamaica and I launched it out there um, with the blessing of Honorable Fabsy Grange, Minister of Sports and Culture, and deposit, made a deposit two books to the Jamaica National Library. Second stage of the book, we're trying to make it into a, a film. And therefore, I've launched a crowdfunding appeal. It's all over the media. See whether we can raise a certain amount of money, £12,000, to make this film. And this is basically to benefit people at grassroots level and nationally as to how best to deal with racism and how to overcome it. Well, best wishes with that project. My book, for years, people, wherever I go, and I've, I've traveled the country a lot and all over, people have said to me, when are you going to write this book? You've been abroad, you've been to Geneva, you've been to South Africa, you've been to all over the world representing the cause for human rights and um, justice. But it was by popular public demand why the book was written. And I said to people, when, when I do speeches, I go around, I said to people, listen, you need to put your story down, write it down, because if it's not written, it's not counted. What will happen is that people will write it on our behalf and they will manipulate it and water it down to suit themselves. I said to people, you must write your story. We have so much to tell. All of us have got that narrative and um, we should 
shouldn't wait until our parents or grandparents die before we write our story. So, Maxi, how can people contact you? If you just type in Maxi Hales, it will take you to my website. And my telephone number is 07956 141554. And my email is me, as in M-E, at Maxi Hales. Maxi Hales is spelled M-A-X-I-E-H-A-Y-L-E-S. Me at maxihales.co.uk. Maxi Hales, M-B-E, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Please join me for interesting conversations with interesting people, featuring interviews with award-winning authors, relationship and life coaches, therapists and a wide variety of people with intriguing stories to share. Interesting conversations with interesting people. Available on all major podcast platforms now, 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 now.